Another pot of coffee is brewing and I've just finished off my third cup because seriously, this time change has really hit my body clock hard. I've been struggling to wake up every single morning to get to my dining table in time to start work. It's been difficult and all I've wanted to do is stay in bed and relax for just a few more moments. But there are only so many times you can press snooze before you realize you're playing a really dangerous game. Anyway, we're back to books this week. And though last month was beset with issues, first with a damaged laptop battery, and then with the virus that seemed to want to cling on for dear life and wasn't COVID, Chris Evans' season wasn't a total bust, and I hope you've gone and listened to those episodes, especially if you're looking for recommendations for a film you might never have heard of before. All this means is that it's time for the next episode of Not Before Coffee Season 4. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, film addict, TV show marathoner, hermit, long-term depression sufferer, and very honest caffeine fiend. get yourself a fresh cup of something hot or a glass of something chilled depending entirely on when you're listening of course and let's get started since the last book episode i have managed to restrain my book buying urge just a little bit i purchased a couple of books when i went to pick up my new glasses yay no more eye strain i picked up a couple of books when i did a wander around my local charity shops And I had a very generous voucher from the company that I ordered my new phone from as apology for a three-week delay in delivery. Discovering I could redeem that voucher for book tokens was the highlight of that particular week. Not even an hour after I got that email, the token was spent. And a few days after that, I received a beautiful box full of new books to add to my ever-increasing collection, including a couple of books that I am really looking forward to reading and getting stuck into over Easter. Today's book is actually two books, as I have decided to talk about a relatively new duology by my 10th new author of this year, Tessa Bailey. It's a short series about a pair of entitled sisters from Los Angeles and the journey they take individually when they start to learn about a past neither of them can remember. The two books in question are It Happened One Summer, which was released in July 2021, and the sequel, Hook, Line and Sinker, which has only just been released, coming out in March 2022. So with that one, I was actually pretty quick off the mark when it came to reading it (laughs) normally. I am actually rather slow when it comes to new releases, as I tend to wait for new books. I prefer to pick up books that are no longer being read and reviewed by everyone and their auntie. I know that I have said I am going to talk about both books, but I should probably start where Bailey does with the first one. It happened one summer. Piper Bellinger is fashionable, influential, and her reputation as a wild child means the paparazzi are constantly on her heels. When too much champagne and an out-of-control rooftop party land Piper in the slammer, her stepfather decides enough is enough. So he cuts her off, and sends Piper and her sister to learn some responsibility running their late father's dive bar in Washington. Piper hasn't even been in Westport for five minutes when she meets big bearded captain 
Brendan, who thinks she won't last a week outside of Beverly Hills. So what if Piper can't do math, and the idea of sleeping in a shabby apartment with bunk beds gives her hives? How bad could it really be? She's determined to show her stepfather and the hot, grumpy local that she's more than just a pretty face. Except that it's a small town and everywhere she turns, she bumps into Brendan. The fun-loving socialite and the gruff fisherman are polar opposites, but there's an undeniable attraction simmering between them. Piper doesn't want any distractions, especially feelings for a man who sails off into the sunset for weeks at a time. Yet as she reconnects with her past and begins to feel at home in Westport, Piper starts to wonder if the cold, glamorous life she knew is what she truly wants. L.A. is calling her name, but Brendan and this town full of memories may have already caught her heart. Even though you've probably already guessed how this book ends, I am going to refrain from giving away the ending, any massive plot twists or anything that will spoil these books. Whether I like the book or not, you need to find out if you like it for yourself. I am not a book spoiler person. Not sure how many times I ever say that in these episodes. Don't do book spoilers. Piper Bellinger is a spoilt Instagram influencer who has never done anything with her life. She lives off the money that her stepfather makes as a successful producer in Hollywood. When she's unceremoniously dumped by her long-term boyfriend, using that term really loosely as they only dated for six weeks, while they're at a very public party, Piper is mortified. And in an effort to show that she's barely affected and not at all humiliated, she is encouraged by a so-called friend to break into a hotel and hold a very loud and very destructive party. The punishment is swift, and for Piper, the worst thing that could ever happen. She is being exiled, sent to the small fishing town that she called home in a time that she only distantly remembers before her mother married money and long before she became a target for internet gossip sites. Though this is Piper's punishment for having no purpose and breaking the law, she doesn't head to Westport alone, which probably most people would. Her younger sister Hannah offers to go with her and is unwilling to see her sister facing this new experience alone, which, just for me, really brings Hannah into the game as a really strong character. Brendan Taggart lives for life on open water, He's a widower. He's never really shown much interest in finding someone else, something that makes his father-in-law happy. However, when Piper Bellinger shows up in Westport, things start to get interesting. This couple is so different that there is no way it can work, that there is an immediate and very reluctant attraction that they struggle to ignore. Brendan feels as though he's being disloyal to the memory of his late wife and is positive that this spoiled princess is so wrong for him that nothing will come of it. He has his life as a fisherman, a dangerous life that could easily end with one wrong turn of the boat during a storm, but it seems as though Piper is persistent and his own feelings are ignoring the logic that dictates he should keep his distance. Throughout the book, we get to learn a considerable amount about the past that led Piper's mother to leave Westport, primarily the death of her first husband, a man who lived for his risky career on the water. He was sadly lost at sea, and the people in town have built a statue to his memory, and many toast him when they have a night out on the town, or 
what equates to a night out on the town in Westport. He was a big personality and many people loved him. Both Bellinger girls also learned that their paternal grandmother is still alive and well and since the loss of her son has lived an isolated existence in a small apartment in town. Their reunion is somewhat moving and helps to show how far Piper has come from the girl who was completely obsessed with the latest shoes and their matching purses. The biggest problem that Brendan and Piper have as a couple isn't that they aren't good for each other. It's that they don't realise that their differences are what make them work. Piper arrives in Westport with redemption her only goal. She wants to prove herself to her stepfather so that she can return to LA and get back into his good graces and have her bank balance reopened. While Brendan believes that the only thing he is on earth for is to get a second boat on the water and never step away from the stereotype of a surly fisherman. In getting to know each other, they are realising that they have the potential to be so much more than the people that they are perceived to be. As a reader of primarily British-written contemporary romance, the steamy aspect of these novels takes a bit of getting used to, but then I suppose that the majority of the novels by authors like Jill Mansell and Paige Toon, both of whom are my absolute favourites in this genre, base their stories on the situation and circumstance rather than the bedromantics. And that's where it happened one summer definitely differs. When I was looking for recommendations for something to read last month while I was ill, this came high on the list, partially because of the steamy aspect apparently, and luckily, I had already invested in it, and at that point, the sequel was already pre-ordered, so I, it wasn't difficult to just turn on the Kindle and get reading, and it was a simple, easy read, something I needed when I wasn't feeling 100%. I know that a lot of people commented on how steamy these scenes between Brendan and Piper were, but, and here I am being honest, and this is just my opinion... I almost skimmed them. It wasn't an intentional, oh my God, there is sex here thing. It was more, this is just filler. Were the scenes steamy? I suppose so. But they also didn't add anything to the story. It would have been just the same without them. I'm not being a prude, not at all. But I guess that I'm saying that if you don't like that aspect of a story and want the romance, then you can have that with this book and just skip the sputtier aspects because not reading them won't change the story. One thing that I really loved about the book, though, was the bonding we saw between Piper and her younger sister, Hannah. It seems that Hannah is the more sensible less spotlight-seeking of the two girls, and she has absolutely no reason to head to Westport. She hasn't stepped out of line and humiliated the family and put their stepfather's career at risk, but she follows Piper out of a sense of loyalty. Here, these two girls are in a bar that needs a lot of work, despite that they were told to the contrary. They are far away from the home that they are familiar with, and though it's Piper's moment to prove her stuff... Hannah is there to play cheerleader and help her sister get back on her feet. For me, Hannah is the true friend that Piper needed all along. So why wasn't that the case in the beginning? Simply because, as far as Piper was concerned, they didn't belong in the same social circle. 
In Westport, the Bellinger girls have the opportunity to get to know each other like never before. They are both the outsiders. They bond as they are learning about their dad, as they reunite with family they weren't aware existed and build up a business that previously they had no interest in. As sisters, they have no choice but to spend time together, but this situation gives them the time to truly get to know each other as the women they have the potential to be. And finally, they are stepping back from the whirlwind that is their lives in LA and bond, becoming best friends. For a while, I debated not doing the sequel because to do so reveals a fair amount of the ending of It Happened One Summer. However, these two books, now that they have both been released, are sort of like a box set. Unless you truly hate the first one and aren't going to bother with the sequel, you should try and read them together. So here I am, going a little bit against the grain, as this hook, line and sinker review will give away bits of what happens at the end of the first book. Though I won't be spoiling any of the twists that the characters navigate to get there. King Crab Fisherman Fox Thornton has a reputation as a sexy, carefree flirt. Everyone knows he's a guaranteed good time in bed and out, and that's exactly how he prefers it, until he meets Hannah Bellinger. She's immune to his charm and looks, but she seems to enjoy his personality and wants to be friends. Bizarre, but he likes her too much to risk a fling, so platonic pals it is. Now Hannah's in town for work, crashing in Fox's spare bedroom, she knows he's a notorious ladies' man, but they're definitely just friends. In fact, she's nursing a hopeless crush on a colleague, and Fox is just the person to help with her lacklustre love life. Armed with a few tips from Westport's residence Casanova, Hannah sets out to catch her co-worker's eye. Yet the more time she spends with Fox, the more she wants him instead. As the line between friendship and flirtation begins to blur, Hannah can't deny she loves everything about Fox, but she refuses to be another notch in his bedpost. Living with his best friend should have been easy, except now she's walking around in a towel, sleeping right across the hall, and Fox is fantasising about waking up next to her for the rest of his life. And, and man overboard, he's fallen for her hook, line and sinker. Helping her flirt with another guy is pure torture, but maybe if Fox can tackle his inner demons and show Hannah he's all in, she'll choose him instead. Hookline and Sinker finds us back in Westport with Brendan and Piper and their friends, but this story is Hannah's. At the end of It Happened One Summer, she had to head back to LA and her job as an assistant to the director she is madly in love with, though he doesn't seem to notice her. She has a passion for music, which I probably should have mentioned when I was talking about the first book, but until this point, it's not massively relevant, even though much of the foreshadowing for this tale is included in It Happened One Summer. Let's get to it. When in Westport with Piper, Hannah met and built a friendship with Brendan's second-in-command, Fox. Fox is a bit of a ladies' man who has a different girl in every port, but he won't poop in his backyard, which I suppose gives him some sort of morals. Anyway, when Hannah gets the amazing idea to propose the latest film her crush is working on is made in Westport, this becomes the perfect time to reconnect with her sister 
and with Fox. Off to Westport, the film crew heads, and over the course of the book, Hannah discovers a lot about herself, her aspirations and her friend Fox, who, it seems, is being warned by everyone to stay away from Hannah because he can't be trusted. But this is a romance, and with Fox being the MMC, or main male character, you just know that at some point in the book he is going to prove himself to be more than the man even his friends believe he is and show he is worthy not only of their trust, but also of young Hannah's love. Hannah is not a character without fault, but as appears to be true, and a cliché in many romances, her faults are deemed more to be quirky in nature. I guess that her biggest fault is that she headed back to LA, and though she maintained contact with Fox via text, it's as though everyone else was an afterthought, including her sister, and their long-lost grandmother. But perhaps I am reading into her actions more than I meant to. The saddest thing about Fox and his character, apart from his name, which just bugs me for some reason, totally unrelated, is that he has no faith in himself. He believes all the gossip about himself. He believes he is no good for any woman who is more than a one-night stand. And it is this which makes him keep his distance from Hannah, and almost leads him to pushing her away from not only a romantic entanglement with him, but also their friendship. In Hook, Line and Sinker, the characterisation has been reversed. Fox is the flirty one who is no good at long term, while Hannah is the stable, sensible one who will do everything to make it work. It's a gender reverse on the prequel in many ways, with the same twists and turns. Before I get into what I thought about the book in more detail, I thought that I'd take a look at some of the reviews that are out there. I have read a number on Bookstagram, as quite a few people I follow have recently read Hook, Line and Sinker, and it was interesting to see if my own thoughts were mirrored by anyone else. Spoiler alert, I was not alone. I think that a good review needs to contain balance, so let's take a quick look and see what other people thought of these books. M. Bibliophile gave It Happened One Summer four stars, stating, I don't have much luck when it comes to Tessa Bailey's books. They just kind of never worked for me. But the synopsis of this one sounds like something that is totally my thing. An unapologetically spoiled city girl in a fisherman's small town. Alexis from Schitt's Creek vibes. Wrong first impression? Yes, please. I just totally love this trope. I loved the character development of Piper. I just really liked her and how she was unapologetically herself. We don't get to see her change herself or her personality for someone, but instead we get to see her find her true self and just grow. I loved everything about Piper. Brendan was really sweet as well. I liked how he was working on making her fall in love with him, even when she kept promising him nothing serious. Another thing is the sibling relationship between Piper and Hannah. It was definitely the highlight of the book. I loved how these two were always there for each other. The thing that kind of ruined this for me is how freaking dramatic the conflict was. I was reading, then suddenly I was rolling my eyes so hard. Like, are you kidding me? It was just beyond dramatic. Overall, this was a really cute summer story. I haven't read many of Tessa Bailey's books, but I think this might be my favourite. 
Want to know something odd that I don't think I have ever encountered before? The reviews for It Happened One Summer went one of two ways. Gushing adoration or did not finish. Yes, you heard that right. Readers either loved it or just couldn't even be bothered to finish it. When it comes to hook, line and sinker, I think that the reviews are easier to find, despite the fact the book has only been out for a month, because the people who reviewed had already read and finished the first book. Fuong gave It Happened One Summer 3.5 stars and hook, line and sinker just two, saying, It's a rare case of it's 50% me and it's 50% the book. After reading It Happened One Summer, I wasn't excited about Fox and Hannah's book in the slightest because of the friends to lovers trope. It's more of a miss than a hit trope for me, and hook, line and sinker didn't manage to change my mind. Turned out Hannah and Fox were as boring as I expected them to be. Was there mutual pining? Yes. Was there jealousy? Yes. Did I feel anything reading it? Nope. You can say what you want about Piper, Does she have five brain cells, Max? Hell yes, but that girl was so entertaining. Fox and Hannah, uh, snooze fest from the prologue till the epilogue. The other thing that was just not well done is the relationship progression between the characters. It was so slow, and Fox's insecurities and problems were getting repetitive. Every time I thought the romance would finally go somewhere, it would backtrack just as quickly. Can we just get to the smut already? I don't want to read about how Fox is such a commitment phobe. And for what? All because he cares too much about what people think of him? I actually managed to find a middle-of-the-ground review, but I had to go over to Instagram for it, courtesy of Sylvie Bookish. This did not live up to my expectations. I really wanted something similar to It Happened One Summer, and I did not get that. This book mostly revolved around our main guy, Fox, who can't seem to get it out of his head that he doesn't have to be a one-night stand kind of guy. Personally, for me, I just didn't connect well with his issue, as I believe that most of us are searching for love. So, yes, you can be a hookup type of guy, but when you find the one and know it, you can also start pursuing that. It just seems like it's an easy choice to make, and it was dragged out way too long in the book for me. Again, I just didn't connect with how finding love and staying in a relationship was as big of an issue as the story made it. Also, this book really lacked spice. Now I've shared what others thought, what about me? Did I like the book? Am I glad that I have read them both after seeing them pop up in my bookstagram feed every day for a few good months? Yes. Does that mean I liked them? Well... I gave both books three stars on Goodreads, though I do wish that we could rate in half stars because Hook, Line and Sinker would have been a 2.5 star book for me. The biggest issue is that I feel the dynamics in Hook, Line and Sinker were so different and this was rather disappointing. I know that everyone has a job and therefore it's not always easy to see people, even when you have a healthy bank account but I couldn't help feeling there was a huge disconnect between the characters in this book and the people they were before. In the first book, we established that the sisters had previously been like people passing in the night. They had very little in common, and although it was obvious Hannah wanted that to change, Piper didn't want to make any effort. 
Throughout It Happened One Summer, this changed. They bonded, found that once they sat down and talked about things, they weren't as different as they believed they were. And they grew close, became friends who were also sisters. And when the summer ended and Hannah went back to LA, there was this feeling that they would remain incredibly close because of their experiences. So what happened? Sure, there is an element of the protective older sister and future brother-in-law in the way that Piper and Brendan speak to Fox about Hannah, but the closeness the two women built up just doesn't seem to be there anymore. OK, so Hannah's in Westport to work, and Piper is busy running the bar that she built on the foundations of their dads, but it just feels as though whatever progress they made has been wiped away. And that was just a step in the wrong direction for me. It was massively disappointing, especially as one of the reasons I did pick up the sequel was because I had enjoyed reading about that bond they had built and the positive changes their relationship had made to both of them. Will I read more by Tessa Bailey? I do have a couple more waiting in the wings, but I think that I will be taking a little time away from her books in order to have a change and a chance to cleanse my palate. The disappointment I felt at the change in tone and character development between the two books has made me feel a little doubtful that the three book series I have already downloaded is going to be disappointing. I don't believe in writing an author off after just one poor book. Okay, that's not quite true, as there are a few authors I won't pick up again after reading just one, but I guess you have to like something about an author's work in order to be disappointed with it when they've produced something that didn't quite live up to original expectations, right? If you're looking for something like this, or you loved this and want something else, then you'll love these. There are a number of authors that I have read and liked their work, and I guess you could say that they are similar enough to Tessa Bailey that it's a safe bet if you like her, you'll enjoy these. Olivia Dade's Spoiler Alert series. I have done a review of both the available books in this series thus far and I will link those in the info box below. Pick up something by Christina Lauren. I have a few books by her on my Kindle right now. I haven't read anything but I have heard mixed mostly positive reviews and it does seem as though she is quite similar in theme. Though The Spanish Love Deception by Eleanor Armas isn't at the top of my personal recommendation list, I know a lot of people loved it and with a new edit due for release soon, it may be that the issues I had will have been ironed out. If you want to know what I mean, check out that review. I will link that one below too. It's been a while since I have released a book episode, so I am really happy to say that since I last talked about it, I have read a grand total of seven books. It would likely have been more, but there are reasons and I am hoping that April will be a little bit more book heavy. Being honest, you will probably have seen pictures of some of the books that are on my TBR and I have started them, but really need to get stuck back in. These are books by authors I have previously enjoyed, new authors, and in one case, a huge favourite, but I have been struggling. There are legitimately books all over my flat right now. 
Two on the dining table, one that probably has spinal damage, and for that I apologise profusely. The other with a bus ticket for a bookmark. Then there is one on my bedside table that I haven't even opened. Well, I have, but I haven't looked at it for months. And another on my Kindle. I'm going to choose to believe that it's not down to anything to do with the books. It's me. I need to just pick up something and read it until it's finished, and then I'll be out of this momentary slump. I hope. Send help. Send recommendations. Send your own reading vibes. If you've not had a chance to check out my Instagram at Not Before Coffee Podcast, then you may have seen a recent reel I did featuring my physical TBR, or most of it anyway. My Kindle one is probably three times as large as that and will no doubt continue to grow because luckily for me, people will keep on reading and releasing new books. If you have any recommendations of books you'd love to hear me talk about, send them on over to notbeforecoffeepodcast at gmail.com or DM me on Twitter or Instagram and I will check them out. April has just begun and as with every single month, that means that there are more new books being released for you to enjoy. Here are a few of the new releases that are coming out over the next seven days. If you love art and the art world in general, then Learning to Look by Alvin No could be the perfect one for you. It comes out on the 5th of April. If you've been following the stories of Detective Constable Peter Grant and the rest of the Special Assessment Unit, then you've probably already ordered the ninth book in the series, Amongst Our Weapons, by Ben Aranovich. It comes out on the 7th of April. A collection of essays by Irish laureate Sebastian Barry is also released on the 7th, titled The Lives of the Saints. Did you know that there was an attempt to scale Everest in 1922? I know I had no clue. If you didn't and are curious, or if you did and you want to know more about it, then Mick Conifree's History of the Attempt, titled Everest 1922, is another book for you to head out and pick up on the 7th of April. If you want to know more about new releases, now is a great time to sign up for my monthly newsletter. Head over to my website, notbeforecoffee.co.uk, to add your name to the list. So, how are things in the coffee household this week? Surprising me and probably everyone else in my life, the week ended on a really positive note. I don't know about anyone else, but the moment I get an invite to a meeting, especially when it's titled probationary review, my brain goes into meltdown mode. That was my state on Monday when my manager sent me an invite after cancelling our normal catch-up meetings for the rest of the week. Granted, we were really busy. It's the first week we've all been in following holiday and illness. A bug went round every single one of our team in quick succession, despite the fact that we hadn't met up in the office since last November. Maybe they have figured out how to transmit device, uh, viruses via computers, because that's the only way it makes sense. Anyway, I got this invite and almost immediately I had a moment of panic. I knew that the meeting was due, but I thought I had another week at least before I was going to find out whether I had passed my probation. Yes, 
I suffer from imposter syndrome as well as everything else. Over the last six months, I have doubted every single thing I did, even after I got praise, which makes me feel awkward and uncomfortable and 100% positive I don't deserve it. The closer the day came, the more positive I was that I was going to fail the probation, that they were going to tell me they were ending my contract early, that I'd screwed up something. Had anything they'd said indicated that this was going to be the case? No, it had not. Did that stop my brain from making me feel as though I was the most incompetent person on the entire planet? Of course not. That would be too easy. In these situations, my brain is my absolute worst enemy. I will do something that I initially think is okay. Someone will say that they like it and my brain will then promptly start with, you're crap. They were lying. They didn't like it at all. I bet that they're laughing now the call is over. I reckon they hate you. You're going to get fired. My brain has been my enemy for as long as I can remember. I would hear those voices taunting me during exams, when I was on dates, in job interviews, and when I would get an email with a rejection, whether it was for a submission to a magazine, for a job interview, or in one case for an Andram society, it would get louder, telling me that I was a failure, that I'm rubbish, worthless, fat and ugly, and no one will ever like me. Wow. Didn't think that I could turn a positive week into a, hey, you know that voice in your head that hates you? I'm giving it validation right now. But I managed it. Where was I going with this? Well, that voice was louder than ever this week. Overanalyzing every single thing people said to me, every little thing I did. And then Thursday afternoon arrived. I threw up a couple of times due to nerves because that's the way I roll. So glamorous and so together. And then I passed my probationary review with glowing feedback, tons of compliments about my abilities, which still make me feel uncomfortable, and they offered me a permanent job. Relief must have been flowing off me in waves by the time the call finished, and part of me can't remember the rest of the conversation after that point. I just remember feeling better about myself for a few moments. I know that it's really easy for people who don't get it to say, you need to have a bit more faith in yourself. And it would be lovely if it were that simple. But as anyone who does have that horrible little voice that sounds just a bit like the primary school bully who made your formative years hellish, combined with the meanest version of you in their heads, getting it to shut up takes more than a few good things happening. I am hoping that she will shut up for a little while, just long enough for me to build up a tiny amount of self-esteem it takes so long to feel confident in yourself and your abilities, especially when praise makes you uncomfortable. But it's worth it. Tell yourself you're amazing, and then perhaps when someone else reinforces that with a compliment, you won't doubt it. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family? And please post a star rating on Good Pods, Spotify or Podchaser. You can follow me on Twitter at need underscore three underscore mugs and on Instagram at not before coffee podcast or you can check out my website which really needs updating not before coffee.co.uk well I need another cup of coffee as I haven't had enough so I'm going to go and put the kettle on until next time this is me saying farewell <laughs>